This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. The eightest thing you did this week. I used to be this aggressive person. I'm not anymore. So sometimes I have a hard time sharing the eightest thing I did because people view me so much as a two. And in my health and love for my family and friends, I am very two. But it's very apparent that I'm eight. I like a challenge. I work out every day. I have run my own business. I support other people's businesses. Homeschool my five kids while also considering going back to college and tutoring for our homeschool co-op. So um, I just like to go hard and paint my own walls and keep my own house immaculate and mow my own grass and yard and trim my own trees. The eightest thing that I did this week was try to continue homeschooling my five kids and running my business while also helping my mother-in-law with her knee replacement, helping another friend so she could take some time for a legal matter, and helping another friend by taking her kids to the park. So even though I was very overwhelmed with all my own things, I saw the need for other people, and I shifted and shaped my week to figure out how to show up and support them so that they could take care of the things that they really needed to do without even mentioning that maybe I was drowning a little bit too. This is the episode where we share all of our favorites. Erin and I talk about our favorite Enneagram books, our favorite Enneagram podcasts, and our favorite eight voices out there in the world, people we like to learn from and hear from. We also asked you to share some of your favorite Enneagram resources, and a few of you left us voice notes, so we've put that in the episode as well. We hope you find this helpful. Erin and I talking you through our favorite books on the Enneagram. One of the first books I read that offered language that I felt really explained me well was Richard Rohr's The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. And there is faith language in there. He talks about sin and God, but I don't see an obstacle for those of you who aren't from faith backgrounds. There's just too much good stuff in there to discount it. Some of the things he says that I underlined are, eights have the gift of leading other people to their real potential. Another thing he says is, when eights say shit, they really say it. I just thought that was so funny. That's such a funny little detail to add that is just completely accurate. He writes, there is no greater torture for an eight than to be isolated and cut off from all possibilities of external action. That resonated an awful lot. He really goes for it when he talks about the work we need to do. He writes, Eights must learn not only to see this vulnerable and distressed child outside of themselves and to look after it out there, but also to be good to the defenseless child in their own soul. That means seeing their own weakness. Eights who demand honesty from the people around them and who immediately unmask dishonest behavior must learn to demand this of themselves. That felt like a really good spanking. But again, Richard Rohr being a one doesn't have the inside perspective on an eight. So even he has put things in such a way that I can't agree with them. One of those things would be, you can never win a dispute with eights. When you bring out your big guns, they bring out still bigger ones. They will always shout louder than you. I would not put it that starkly because personally, I'm an eight who likes to be convinced who wants to change. And so I don't think I'd ever say of myself, you could never win a dispute with an eight. You could never win a dispute with anyone who doesn't want to listen. But I believe that eights really do want to grow and change. 
and that we're better listeners than people think. In each of the chapters on types, he has a subsection called symbols and examples, and I think they're quirky. They say that eight animals are the rhinoceros, rattlesnake, tiger, and bull, and I think it's hilarious because when I asked you guys to tell me whether or not tigers were a thing for you, some of you said no, but snakes are. (laughs) Clearly, we definitely have a theme going there. He says that an eight country is Spain, and I've never visited there, but now I want to. And then he assigns each of the types colors. He says our colors are black and white. And here's another point of contention for me. He says that eights reject intermediate tones and compromises because they look weak. With them, it's always either or, friend or foe, good or bad, strong or weak. And I'm just going to have to disagree there, Mr. Roar. I love nuance. The truth is I'm after the truest thing not the thing that lines up with my initial sense of right or wrong. I would hate that, to think that I was deluded and stuck in my position when that isn't the truest position. I think eights are diggers. We want to dig down into the truest thing. All that to say, I would really give this book a read. The language he brings to all the types are very helpful, and for the most part, pretty right on. So I really like The Road Back to You by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron. Um, I thought it was a really easy book to get through. It's pretty simple. It lays out all the numbers pretty easily. It's a great book where, if you're just starting with the Enneagram. The next book that I really enjoyed was another classic. They're classics for a reason, right? It's the book simply called The Enneagram by Helen Palmer. Uh, it's a little academic in its writing, but clear enough. I like how she writes about the Enneagram in general. She describes it as a system you use so you can build a working relationship with yourself. I like that. She also says it's so you can understand other people as they are to themselves, rather than as you see them from your own point of view. And of course, I support that because that's why we've built this community, so that eights can speak for themselves about themselves. Some of the quotes I liked in that book that had to do with eights were, in a mature eight, The neurotic need to create conflict as a way to discover buried truth is a habit of the past, and what evolves is a rare capacity to recognize each individual's real truth. And I really, truly relate with that. I used to push so hard when I was younger in a kind of obsessive way to get at the truth, when instead now I sit back and observe people until I can distill the truth about them, and then I don't share that truth with them unless they ask. I don't feel like it's my job to walk up to them and tell them the truth I see inside because, of course, if they aren't ready to hear it, that's not going to go over very well. Palmer. She's also the one that made me question whether or not eights are brave. This quote, I realized that I'm not really brave. It's that I so minimize the possibility of danger that I have no reaction to it. So while I think eights certainly can be brave, I think first and foremost we're fearless. We spoke about this in the last episode. She'd made me realize I can't be particularly proud of that fact. It's just a reality that we don't feel a lot of fear, and it makes me aspire to being brave, pushing into those spaces that I dismiss or deny or avoid so that I can truly call myself brave. She also put really good language around that thing we do when we deny our emotions. She says, There is an interior blankness a controlled wall staring, but that has the side effect of blocking out normal awareness of impressions. 
Again, I can relate to that. I really can't flip that switch so that everything goes numb. But of course, that means that sometimes the switch gets flipped when it shouldn't. So I do recommend that book. Lots of good language in there. Another book I really enjoyed is called The Enneagram Made Easy, and it is by Renee Barron and Elizabeth Wagell. And it's it's a super simple book. Again, I like the simple books when I'm starting. Otherwise, I don't get engaged. Um, it's got like cartoons in it and stuff. It's a great family book to try to get everybody engaged uh, reading together. So I highly suggest that. It's called Discover the Nine Types of People, uh, The Enneagram Made Easy. The next book comes with a lot of caveats. It's by Beatrice Chestnut, and it's The Complete Enneagram. And that's the place you go if you want to learn more about your subtype. So she takes every number through what it looks like to be a social, a self-preservation, or a sexual of your type. It's just that I've read enough of her by now and listened to her on her podcast to know that I don't think she sees eights as clearly as I'd like. I get the sense that she is not a fan, to be honest, and it definitely shows through in the language she uses about it. I think eights are very sensitive to that. We always know when we're disapproved of. We know when we're really, truly seen, and I'm just not so sure she sees us. So I will just add that cautionary note. In each of the type chapters, there is the subsection that lines them up with an archetype in Homer's The Odyssey. And check this out. She says we're like the Cyclops. Quote, the high and mighty Cyclops are lawless brutes without counsel or meeting hall. Each of them is a law unto himself, not a care in the world for any neighbor. The Cyclops want what they want, when they want it, and they take it. They don't suffer shame or guilt or reservations. They are not worried about what others think. I mean, ouch. Of course, there are little undercurrents of truth in there, but I think there's just a lot more to eights than that. Don't think that gets to the heart of us. Am I in crazy denial here or what? Uh, It would be interesting to note that Chestnut identifies as a type 2, and in her type section, she compares 2s to the archetype of Calypso, and this is what she says about that. A shining goddess, a queenly nymph, bright among goddesses, she is beautiful and elegantly feminine. Calypso is the archetype of a nurturer. She pampers Odysseus, giving him the best food and supplying him with everything he needs. I can't get over the difference between the archetype she aligns with twos and the archetype she aligns with eights. I mean, I'm not crazy, right? I definitely sense a little bit of I hate eights in her. I don't know. Feel free to push back. Believe it or not, I still think this is worth a read because I think it's worth finding out what your instinct is as an eight. It will really help you understand yourself a little better. And this is the book that helped me do that. I'll read you a few things about being a sexual eight. She says, This rebellious eight likes to be seen as bad, or at least they don't mind it, and they tend not to feel guilt over the rebellious things they do. It's almost a matter of pride for sexual eights to go against the stream of convention or to disrespect rules and laws. I would have to admit that that is true of me anyway. She also writes, Sexual eights want to influence people with their words. Case in point, this podcast. And then she interviews a sexual eight who says, My sexual instinct also makes me one of those rare people who can cross others' boundaries without making them uncomfortable. But again, in this very same section on sexual eights, 
I don't know who she chose to interview to get her information on sexual aids, but whoever these people are, they seem to be caricatures of the worst part of that instinct. To me, they sound like, well, I'll just let you listen for yourself. She says, My colors shine brightly. My powers of seduction can be consuming. It is often difficult for others to resist the temptation to indulge me. For the most part, I lead, others follow without question. I've been told that my power is like a narcotic. One cannot be in a room with me without feeling my sexual presence or life force. The charisma is hard to resist. That's so overblown. That is just absolutely not how I see sexual energy. Another book that I picked up for my kids um, coming into the teenage years is called The Enneagram for Teens, and it was by Elizabeth Wagle again. Um, and I like this one because, again, it's easy for the kids to read through. And I think as, as teenagers, they are actually engaged in reading as it's meant for more for them. The last book I'll recommend is a new discovery on my part. It's called The Brain-Based Enneagram, You Are Not Your Number by Jerome Lubba. Uh, this one blew my mind. If you listened to last week's episode called Joe's Enneagram 8 Podcast Manifesto, it'll be clear that I am very much aligned with the way Jerome links up the Enneagram with neuroscience. And so I'm not sure how much more I have to say about that, except to just encourage you again to check it out. Here are some quotes. Imagine a population density map of your brain. All over your neurological landscape, there are sparks of activity in the regions that you utilize most. Some areas are buzzing with life, some are warm with mild use, and others are quiet and cool. The coolest thing about this book is he encourages you to take the Rizzo-Hudson test, which I already had done. If you've done that, you know it gives you your ranking of all nine types in order of most to least. This book gives you some printouts to help you organize those numbers and calculate percentages to help you figure out what parts of your brain's you use the most, and that gives you incredible insights. Here's what he says about the numbers that are highest on your Rizzo-Hudson score. He says, efficiency in a number means there is an ease of relationship with the nature of that number. So he attributes a nature to each of those numbers. So as a two, he is more comfortable using language like, I am a two and I am efficient in the nurturing nature. And so the eight nature is called the nature of disruption. And I really love that. And that rings really true because all of us eights will relate to the fact that we really don't like being stuck. We really value movement and growth and change. And so that corresponds to a function of our brain. Conversely, being inefficient in a number means that there is less ease in the relationship with the nature of that number. So if you take the Rizzo-Hudson test... And the rankings, you can do a bunch of calculations and come up with some really important insights. For example, I learned that I actually live out of my heart even more than my gut and my head. And that feels pretty true. I know a lot of eights in my life who are way more intuitive. They, they get these interesting gut responses and reactions. And I do, but it's very subtle. I am way more heart forward. I have a lot more sense of the way somebody feels to me. And I really pursue depth and heart in people. So that really rang true to me. The percentages also show that my head is dead last, which at first was super insulting and hard to swallow. But it is true. Thinking first, that comes later after a lot of processing. 
Another really important thing it showed me is it has you line up the rankings and looking at the values of the different types that you are efficient in, the different natures you're efficient in. And my top three, which is reflected in my tri-type, interestingly enough, are eight, seven, and four. And those three motivations and priorities are autonomy, experience, and authenticity, which means that I'm someone who really, really values the freedom to live like myself. That's how that fits together. I am deficient in five, nine, and six. And five, nine, and six value clarity, serenity, and guarantees. And if you really look at the way those three connect, they basically all speak to my fear of slowing down and getting stuck or aligning with a group and losing myself. It's just really insightful. And so I really, really recommend it. You do have to take the Rizzo-Hudson test first, which is a few bucks, and then you can do all your calculations. And I think you're going to find that incredibly valuable. Your favorite eight books. My favorite Enneagram book that I've come across is The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And that's a really great classic piece of material that uh, is by Rizzo and Hudson, who are maybe preeminent figures in the field and it's just very thorough and goes through the the basics of everything that you need to know about Enneagram. So it's a wonderful place to start. The other place I really like to to learn from is I really enjoy reading on the Enneagram Institute website. I think that's another really great place just to read because everything's so easily indexed and if you want to read about sevens, you can read about sevens. You want to read about eights, you can read about eights. To all of our eights, we really need to hear from you because this space is about building eight language from the inside. Let's set the record straight about what it's really like to be us. To all our non-8s, we need to hear from you just as much, because you're on the outside looking in. What do you see? Let us have it. We can handle the pushback. Join our community by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Leave us a rating and review. Follow us over on Instagram at the Enneagram 8 Podcast. And tell everyone you know. Invite fellow eights into this community so they feel seen and heard, and invite the people who love you, or don't, to listen in and learn a thing or two. We want to fill this space with voices, so why don't you go ahead and add yours? Our favorite Enneagram 8 podcasts. One of the first podcasts I'd actually start with, once you've figured out your type anyway, is The Place We Find Ourselves. I'll just read the description of it. The Place We Find Ourselves podcast features private practice therapist Adam Young and interview guests as they discuss all things related to story, trauma, attachment, and interpersonal neurobiology. So again, you'll see a theme of my love of introspective thinking and the science of neurobiology. I just think they're super linked. This podcast is incredibly painful to listen to. I will just say that. It touches all the spots that we're trying to avoid. I mean, I feel like you have to be in a really good place to jump into it because what it is doing is asking you to rip apart your childhood, to dig all the way back and really name the harm your parents specifically might have caused you or whoever your caregiver was, your church community, all of those no-go zones that we really don't like to think about and that have become really sacred in our minds he asks you to mess with them. My caveat is that I think he overdoes that and he doesn't balance it out with grace and love. 
And so he really wants you to name the things your parents did to harm you, but he doesn't balance it with, they really might have done that unintentionally. And there is room for grace. He, he never really goes there. And so I'm really grateful that I managed to navigate that without getting really angry or hurt by my parents. So be forewarned. But the value of it couldn't be more highly stated, which is that you aren't going to understand yourself if you don't understand where you came from. And if you're in denial over the way your parents or caregivers shaped you, that's going to be a huge piece you're missing when you're trying to figure out why you react the way you do and why you have written a narrative about yourself that you tell yourself. And so, as you've already heard, I I really do have this reoccurring problem of thinking of myself as a monster, but like I said, I don't think I attached until I was three to my mother, and so that makes you feel very alone in the world. And I also had a really difficult relationship with my church community in the first two, three decades of my life. Never felt like I belonged really truly didn't feel like who I was was a fit or valued. So maybe listen after you have drunk a few glasses of wine, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, Or just make sure you're listening with somebody who knows you well enough to help you talk through some of the stuff or think through some of the stuff. When I first started getting into the Enneagram, I listened to the Road Back to You podcast. Um, I found that really helpful looking up my number, the eight, and just listening to each of the different Um, people in that. And I really do like Suzanne Stabile's podcast, The Enneagram Journey now too as well. The next podcast that I've really been enjoying is Big Hormone Enneagram. And I've spoken about it a little bit. I feel like if I just read the disclaimer they have on their podcast, it might stand as my caveat. This Enneagram podcast contains highly charged elements. Contents may cause unexpected states of psychological depth and trigger laughter and unconventional insight. Listener discretion is advised. So they're trying to point you towards something that you are sure going to find when you listen in, which is that they are, they're dark and unfiltered and um, they really love talking about sex. This is the go-to for tri-type though. This is how I discovered my tri-type. And for all of you sexual eights, this really is invaluable because three of the four hosts are sexual first. So there is a four host, an eight, and a nine, all sexual subtypes. And then you also have a three and she's actually sexual last. All of this is incredibly insightful in terms of understanding what a sexual instinct first even means. I would warn you that this is not the place to go if you want to grow out of your type, oddly enough. They seem to love reveling in the darkness and in the problems and fixations of the type and really laugh at the idea of growing out of it. They laugh at silver linings. They laugh at being optimistic, it feels like. The crew over at Big Hormone Enneagram definitely identify with the way the Enneagram rips you open, like shreds you, but they don't seem all that interested in the way it heals you. So tread with care. Another one I really like is called Whole Motherhood. The interview Suzanne Stabile, the podcast in particular, is from April 2019, and it's called Mothering with Suzanne Stabile. And it's a two-part series where Suzanne comes in and talks about um, mothering children with Enneagram numbers, but not typing them. So sort of just recognizing how to interact with your kids based on different strategies. And one of the things she talks about is, is different animals. And she, the one that resonated with me is if you have a four, she puts it as a butterfly and she calls the eighth the lion. And so she's like, you cannot be an, a lion parenting a lion or parenting a butterfly like a lion. And that resonated a lot with me. 
So I, I highly suggest listening to that one if you have young children. The other one I really like is called the Teen Life Podcast, and it's called Enneagram and Teens. It's from December 2018. And again, it's a two-part series where Suzanne comes on and speaks to these people that uh, I think they run a youth group or something. And so she talks them through uh, how to sort of help kids using the Enneagram. That's a great one. The Thrive Neurotheology Podcast is my third pick. As you heard already in my book recommendation, these are my go-to guys, for sure. The two hosts are Jerome Lubba and his brother Carl. The podcast has a whole bunch of really connected and important pieces to it. Jerome opens by talking about the brain function of a type, and then his brother takes over the spiritual side of that, and then they bring it together with the Enneagram. I just can't tell you how helpful it's been. They're very insistent that you aren't your number, that because you have a brain and the brain is made up of all its parts in every one of us, that means we are all nine numbers. We simply work more efficiently out of certain parts of the brain. And so the podcast is basically a call to explore what that means and then a challenge to maybe live out of other parts of your brain. I just think it's the coolest thing. So I definitely recommend giving it a listen. So the Art of Growth Enneagram panel podcast is also one of my favorites by Joel Hubert, Suzanne York, and they do a whole podcast on each number in panels, which is great because you get to hear a bunch of different types of eights or other numbers if you're listening to other numbers uh, and how they how they all interact with the world in their eightness or or like I said, other numbers. So that's a great one. That's great. And if you're an eight, I love that podcast because there's one person on there in particular that I love listening to. Do It for the Gram was a very helpful podcast for me in discovering subtype as well. The host is Milton, and he's an Enneagram 7. I really, really enjoyed the series on subtype. So if you go scroll down through the different episodes, hit the subtype episodes. I think there are three or four of them. And there are even type-specific episodes. So he gives you a run-through on the three subtypes of the eight. I will put the episodes in the show notes. Our favorite eight voices out there today. One of my favorite Enneagram eights, his name is Justin Stumval, and he and his wife Abby can be found over at the Connected Life podcast. Well, let me read it. The Connected Life is a podcast about the beautiful and messy ups and downs of life. Join life consultants Justin and Abby Stumval as they share vulnerable stories and practical wisdom that will lead you on a journey of connecting with yourself and others and the world right in front of you. Uh, I didn't put this in under the podcast heading because it's not an Enneagram podcast, and I'm not sure it would fit neatly into that category. It's just that Justin as an eight voice is really valuable as an example of an eight that has moved quite firmly to two. I would say that he legitimately has integrated to two in a way that colors his whole life. I'll admit he's uncomfortable to listen to in his two-ishness at this point which says a lot about how much I need to grow because he sounds downright mushy and squishy sometimes and it makes me squirm. He will cry quite openly. I'm sure that has some of you shuddering, but I swear you really need to go over and listen. There's no denying there's something really important about where he's come from and something we really need to something we really need to learn from him. I think a really important piece is when he talks you through his childhood and the really cool restoration he's had between him and his parents, in spite of a lot of trauma, and the ways that him and Abby, who's a two, again, see that 8-2 connection. And I think we really do need to look into that. 
They talk a lot about the difficulties they initially had in their marriage because of his eightness and her two-ness and how they have overcome a lot of it because of self-awareness and vulnerability and growth and whatnot. So Justin, you are one of my favorite eights. Another cool thing about Justin is he's very responsive. So I've left him voice notes before and he's left me really long ones back. Enneagram eights in the house. Yeah, you get me and I get you. I'm glad that me even sharing parts of my journey gives you uh, another human being to identify with. If you want to interact with him, he's usually pretty game. Suzanne's daughter, Joey, she's an eight. We do not hear enough from her uh, in the podcast world, I don't think. I think a lot of eights would probably resonate well with Joey, just like Joe and I did. I think Joe will talk about her podcast with recent podcast that we listened to. And I think both of us were in tears just listening to Joey be so raw and vulnerable and feeling so understood by her. It's rare in the Enneagram world to find eights, I think, that we feel we really connect with. I think a lot of eights are not soft and a lot of eights are a little bit hard around the edges. And I find that hard because I don't think I'm hard around the edges. And I'm maybe it's the social piece of me. I don't know. There really is something about Joey Shuey. She's a social eight like Erin. So all of you social eights out there are going to really resonate with her. I think it's her relationship with her mom, Suzanne Stabile, who's a two, and her husband, who is a nine. That really hits me hard. I'm married to a nine as well. And we're going to put a link to the episode I'm referring to in the show notes. But she is really vulnerable in speaking over the heartache sometimes of being the bad guy. When you're married to a nine, often the children or the people in your life see your nine spouse as the softer landing, as the safer place, or as the the good guy. And that just really hurts. So she talks about that. She also often refers to the difficulties of having a two mum. She loves her mom, that's very clear, but she just speaks to the friction they had growing up when Suzanne wanted something from her that she couldn't give. Erin and I often quote what she says about her relationship with Suzanne when she says, I will never need you the way you need me to need you. And you have to be okay with that. I've already told you how I feel about Dak Shepard. He is a confirmed eight, although he certainly doesn't want to talk about it. And his podcast certainly doesn't help me grow. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But there's just something about listening to someone that sounds just like me. The moment I heard him, he felt familiar. So if you are interested in listening to an eight voice who probably has four in him as well, just go listen to him. He's really, really open and he does this thing where he manages to dig into people's lives without them being able to resist it. And they end up going a lot deeper and opening up a lot more with him as the host. So again, not so sure it'll help you with personal growth or anything, but it's it's comforting to hear somebody that sounds like you. So Dak Shepard from The Armchair Expert. I'll mention a few more eights. They're not at the top of my list, but they definitely might suit some of you. Nadia Boltzweber. She's a really badass eight. She, she's like a poster child eight. Go look up a picture of her, and that's probably what you'd put on a poster for female eights. She identifies as an eight-wing nine, and so to all of you out there who have those nine wings, she might really lend you a voice, for sure. She has a podcast called The Confessional. I'll just read the blurb about it. 
Forget the selfies and social media up- updates of everyone at their best. New York Times bestselling author Nadia Boltz Weber's new podcast, The Confessional, invites guests to share stories about times they were at their worst. Guests talk honestly about what led to that moment and what they learned from it and how they changed as a result. A former stand-up comic and recovering alcoholic, everyone needs grace and healing, no matter your beliefs. So step into The Confessional with Nadia Boltz Weber. It's a car wash for people's shame and secrets. So there you have it. I've been enjoying her podcast, some episodes more than others, but it definitely calls on my eight heart. That's for sure. And the last shout out would be Abby Robbins over at Conscious Construction Podcast. She seems to be on hiatus. So, but there is a season of panels that you can go listen to and she is herself an eight. So I'm sure you'll benefit from it. Your favorite eight voices to listen to. Definitely one of my favorite eights is Hannah Seymour and also Jess Connolly. She and Jess are not super like big Enneagram voices, but they're both eights and they're both living out their call. Both of them are writing, encouraging, and truth-filled. I think that both of them are serving their respective communities really well with a lot of grace, but not pulling punches of, you know, saying the hard things. We're learning and growing all the time, so that's our resource list for now. But when we start to stockpile a bunch of new podcasts and books, we will run another episode and fill you in. In the meantime, let us know where have you learned the most about what it means to be an eight. Share it with us, and we will pass that along to our community on Instagram. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. (laughs) 